Hello, everyone. Today, we are talking about jobs in science communication. When I was going through graduate school, there was always this chatter that if you didn't want to do research, you could take a job in science communication or education. Like it was really something pretty easy to do. Today, I'm going to talk to you all about what it's like to pursue a job in science communication, including a big portion of this episode is going to be about how you do it on your own, which is what I'm doing. So let's get into it. I'm really excited to share with you my story. Hi, I'm Dr. Stephanie Shuttler a wildlife biologist who's learned throughout her career studying animals that science alone cannot save species. We need you. In the Fancy Scientist podcast, you'll learn about fun animals, conservation tips, and science advice, all while breaking stereotypes about what a scientist looks like. Let's get started. We talked about this in last week's episode, but just to refresh all of your memories, or if you are new to this episode, what exactly is science communication? Well, it's it's not a new thing. It's been around for a really long time, but social media and the way that us human beings communicate with each other have made it this new position title. I think Usually before this, people would think of science education rather than communication. And communication more applies to the social media aspects of it. So when I think of science communication jobs, I think of organizations that have social media accounts and they're looking for somebody to run those accounts. Or they might be looking to scientists within their institution to contribute stories so that they can have blog posts and again share to their social media accounts. As I mentioned in the previous episode, Scientists have turned towards communication because a lot of them genuinely think it's fun since the rise of social media. A lot of us now have Instagram posts and we've been on Twitter for a while. Now we're on YouTube and it's just fun to do because a lot of times you're just talking to your peers about science and it's really fun to share it with the outside world. We're doing some really cool things. So scientists definitely think it's a fun thing to do, but it's also a really great way to promote your research. So it's really great professionally. I have had people in the media contact me because of my Twitter profile. I know this is true of other scientists that they are not necessarily the best scientist in their field or their area of expertise, but because they have a huge Twitter presence, they're often quoted in the media. So it's really great for your career as a scientist. It is great to network as well, but also people think that you can have a job at it. And when I was going through graduate school, this is really when science communication jobs became big. This is when really people started talking about it, that we really need science communicators. And Let me just differentiate for a second. So like I mentioned before, there's always been science communicators, but I think we have called them more educators. So if you think about your museums, your zoos, you have people who would, you know, stand at carts and interact with guests or stand in front of exhibits and talk to them. And we would consider those more education positions. So science communication 
it in general again it seems to be more digital so you're not really you're interacting with the public but more in a digital way during graduate school we had trainings from the National Science Foundation. I remember there were workshops and this big emphasis on science communication. But my experience from being on the job market since 2012, that's when I graduated with my PhD, is that there weren't a whole lot of jobs for science communication on the market. And my experience also was that scientists weren't necessarily qualified for those jobs or competitive for those jobs. So what I'm talking about is that these organizations, when they have social media profiles, they have certain objectives that they want. If they are a nonprofit, they want to get money. If they are a government organization, they're maybe trying to get a certain message off, off to the public. And of course, they're doing things like, edu- like educating and sharing research and things like that, but there's always an objective. And What I found is that these organizations, when they are advertising for these positions, when they're looking for someone, frequently, most often, except for one job that I applied for, they want communication professionals. So they want somebody who went and got their degree in communications. They don't want scientists who happen to be good communicators or have a big social media following, but they want people who are um, experts in this area. So in graduate school, if you decided you didn't like research, they just said there's a science communication route. But in reality, I found that that route didn't exist. I remember my boss sent me this one job for a communication position with Microsoft Environmental Communication. And I looked at the job requirements and I was like, there's no way I am qualified for this job. Again, because they wanted things like communications degree. They're gonna want they're gonna want a social media plan. And even myself with a big social media following, I didn't really know how to do that until recently. I don't have that huge of a following, but I have a following. And I just found that I wasn't competitive for these jobs. So I just wanted to to create this podcast for you to, to encourage you to start looking at the jobs now. That's actually my number one tip for scientists is that they begin with the end in mind. That they use my job tracker. If you go to fancyscientist.com and search job tracker, you will be able to make a copy of this spreadsheet where you can copy and paste the different jobs that you are ultimately interested in that are available today and see the requirements that those jobs need. So if you are in graduate school and you do want to go into science communication, it's not like, okay, I have my PhD, now what? I'll just go into science communication. I don't like research. No, but you have your PhD and you took courses in journalism or communications and you maybe have a minor or you have um, some sort of certificate. I shouldn't say minor, that's an undergrad thing. But you have some sort of certificate to show that you have expertise in those areas. Or maybe you volunteer with a nonprofit locally and get some experience doing some fundraising through social media campaign. 
these are the types of things that you need to be aware of. And this is why I so strongly recommend that people download the job tracker. So there are science communication jobs out there. There are organizations looking to hire people to help interpret the science that they do for the public. But again, I usually find it too that they want communications professionals. My cat Leo just came up and jumped jumped up the chair with me. If you're watching the YouTube video, you can see his tail in the background. Okay, so this is the route that I actually really wanted to do. I love science communication. It's totally my jam. When I worked at the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences, I loved it. I loved giving talks. If you follow me on social media, I love doing Instagram. I love Twitter. I love making these YouTube videos and these podcasts. I absolutely love it. And I feel like my research has had such more of an impact because I've been able to talk about it to a wider audience. Leo is not giving up. He's here. He doesn't look very comfortable. Okay. He's going to sit on my lap now. So let's get back to this. So where was I? Science communication. I love doing this. So I decided to create my own job and I am figuring it out. I am still in the process of figuring it out. I've been doing these interviews with aspiring wildlife biologists and I've been doing it for my own research to figure out where they are stuck in their careers so I can better help them out. But a lot of them asked asked me like why I did this and how I made this transition and I would like to share some of you with you that experience what I did so I love science communication so much I started blogging and a lot of the blog was about my research but it was also about my struggles in this career that I really struggled for for jobs there's a lot of job competition and I was really great at landing interviews most 30% of the jobs I applied to I got interviews but in every case I was somebody else was chosen over me because they had just that much more experience than me so I started blogging and people really were reading my blog and I loved it. And so I found out about all these different ways that people were making money online. So I decided to pivot and stop looking for jobs and start my own science communication business. This was a challenge for me though because education is kind of hard to sell or knowledge is hard to sell like I just want to like talk to people about wildlife and animals and get people excited about nature and conservation but I need to eat I I need to I need to have medical insurance I need to survive so how can I get paid to do that this was the the exploratory journey that I went on and I was even featured on a podcast the do you even blog podcast because my uh, one of my mentors was also helping me figure this out because it's a it's a it's a difficult thing to do when you go into the blogging business or the online business there's some very obvious ways to make money but with education it is a little bit harder so we'll talk in this episode about how I've been making it work as a science communicator and the strategy that I've been doing if you are thinking about entering this career at all. Okay, 
I and I just have to say I love this career because I think it is so cool all of the different things that you can do the sky is a limit so basically there are I think I have like five or six ways that you can make money here and they vary in difficulty the strategies vary as well so the first one is probably the most obvious and that is ads and ads that you can do on your website. There's Google AdSense. I've never used them. I use Mediavine, but you need to reach a certain number of sessions to be able to qualify for Mediavine. So you can do it on your blog. If you have a podcast, you can work with getting podcast sponsors. Chris Cloney of Grad Blogger, I had him on my podcast. He started working with advertisers directly on a newsletter that he was working on. And his niche is easier because he works in dust safety science, chemical dust safety science. So there were industries who who wanted to to advertise their their products and their companies. But in conservation, this is just a little bit more difficult. So you can do ads, but ads don't make a lot of money unless you have a lot of volume. So you're really going to have to work on search engine optimization or SEO for your website. And you do that by doing keyword research. So what this means is you create content that will be ranked number one by Google. You can do this for YouTube too. And therefore, when people search your thing, then it's the top blog post. And the more people click on your stuff, the more ad money you get. This is why, and there's also tricks to it too, like the longer that people stay on your page, the longer that people stay within your website also generates you more ad money. And this is why recipe bloggers have these gigantically long recipes or not that the recipes are long but they're hidden way at the bottom it's because they want you to know the entire history of an avocado before they get to the guacamole uh, recipe because the more you scroll the more money they get from advertisers so that's the one way and I have done um, okay with this. I, I have Mediavine, but I don't make enough to live on. I make about $250 every month from ad revenue. I have not been working on SEO recently um, because I've been working on, on another portion of my business. But SEO, again, you really need those numbers. So some of the things that I rank highly for are about careers in wildlife biology, becoming a wildlife biologist. I have some random ones like a Coolago, my Coolago post it's this, it's this, it's its own order of animals. It kind of looks like a flying squirrel, but it's not related to them. And for some reason, this post is really popular. It's totally unexpected. So that is really high in Google. Um, I'm trying to think of what other ones too. I'm doing pretty well with understanding um, if zoos are ethical, what wildlife sanctuaries are. So those are examples of some blog posts that I've done um, really well on. It takes a lot of time though to make quality content. It's not as easy as it looks and it involves research. Okay, so ads are the first way that you can go. Another way that's similar is working with affiliates. So what affiliate marketing is, is that you embed products in your content 
And if somebody buys that product through your link, then you get a commission. And this is at no expense to the person who is purchasing. So it's the same price to them. You just get a cut of that. So affiliates are great. But again, you really need the volume for affiliates. It it takes a lot for for people to for to make enough for you to survive on, and it's again it depends on your business. So I um, first heard of affiliates when I was part of this blogger group that I organized, and one of the other bloggers told me that she made several hundred dollars every month from affiliates with Amazon. She had a crafting blog and her craft blog was really popular on Pinterest. So people would go to the blog from Pinterest and they would do the craft. And she had the list of products all right there. People go onto Amazon, they purchase the products, and then she gets a cut from that. So she could pretty easily make money passively through Amazon. This has been more challenging for me. I do use affiliates, but as sustainable blogger, it is incredibly hard, or not incredibly hard, but it's challenging to work with affiliates because you have to be selective about the products that you choose because you want to choose products that you support. When you are an affiliate, you don't want to just like randomly throw products out there to make money because you need to think about your reputation as a blogger and as, well, in my case, as a scientist. If people buy that product and they're like, well, Stephanie suggested it, she thought it was a good product to buy and they don't like it, then it's going to reflect poorly on you. So you have to be careful with the brands that you choose. And because my stuff is all about being more conservation friendly, it's especially difficult. And some I, I am an affiliate for Amazon and I am working on replacing those affiliate links with other companies because of some of the environmental issues with Amazon, but honestly, more importantly, the human rights issues of Amazon, just that the workers aren't treated well, they're not really given bathroom breaks, or there are very few bathroom breaks. There's been some some stories about that. But in terms of Amazon and conservation, it has been a struggle for me because the things that I put on Amazon are usually stuff that you can't get from a local place or like there's just there's no more local places anymore for the stuff so for example like light bulbs if you want to switch to LED light bulbs so I didn't necessarily feel bad about directing people to Amazon as opposed to like Home Depot I didn't feel like there was a big difference in it and there's also research to show that it's more efficient to buy things online or it's better for the environment to buy things online than to have a storefront. Anyway, I digress. But affiliates, it can be tricky because you need to choose them carefully. You want to choose products that you love. And again, you're going to need a lot of volume for for you to make money with affiliates. With Amazon, I've made, I probably make $100 every six months. So 
Not a lot of money. Although one of my scientist friends, she advertises, or not advertises, but she talks about microscopes and a whole blog about how to use it. And she makes, she's starting to make money from Amazon with her microscope blog. You can also do partnerships with companies. This is kind of like an affiliate, but you're doing more like promotional content. So for example, I work with Prana. I love Prana. I do not yet work for them financially, so I don't get paid yet, but a lot of bloggers do that, and I'm working on getting there. But right now we work on product exchange. So they will send me some of their garments, and I will talk about them on my blog post and if I like them or not. And there's lots of people that do stuff like that. They do product reviews. There's this one guy, this is going back to affiliates, but I listened to this one podcast where this one guy, all he did was review bags on YouTube. That was his specialty. And he made over 100,000, I think hundreds of thousands of dollars in affiliate commission from bags. And like all the bag companies wanted him to to endorse their bag. And I'm talking about like laptop bags, I think like backpacks and stuff like that, but more for the office Anyway, I digress. So the the sky is a possibility. It's a really cool age to be alive, honestly, that you can you can do these things on your own. Okay, so you can have affiliates, you can have partnerships where you agree to include a company in your post and they'll pay you $1,000 for a post or something like that. It depends on how many followers you have, how much traffic you get. Those are the types of things that they care about and you can increase your rates once you reach different thresholds. Excuse me, I need to have a sip of my mint licorice tea. This is actually a company I want to become affiliate for. I'm well, actually, I am a I am an affiliate for Vitacost, which is usually where I buy this. But I am drinking, I believe it's called Egyptian licorice mint tea. I love it. It is made by Yogi Tea. It is so delicious. I love that they are a certified B company. B companies prioritize the environment and people along with profits. So I always try to buy B companies from B corporations when I can. See, there you go. I'm going to put an affiliate link for Yogi Tea in there, or at least Vitacost. See, that's how you do it. That's that's the way that you can do things. But it, for in order for it to work really well, you have to be genuine. And I am genuine. I really do absolutely love Yogi Tea. Okay, another people, another way that people think that you can make money online is through YouTube. Once you get to a thousand subscribers and so many subscriber watch hours, I think it's four thousand, then you can start monetizing. But even at this level, you really have to have a lot of watch time. You have to have a lot of hits in order to make money. I don't know the numbers at all, but I do know that I've seen some people with some pretty healthy followings, like tens of thousands of people, and I think they make like $70 a month or something from YouTube. So don't quote me on that, but I know it's definitely not enough for for them to live on. But if you combine YouTube with affiliates, it can all add up. This is really what influencers are doing. 
And I've used all of these strategies. I am still not making money on YouTube, but I am, I got to the thousand mark. So I have to wait for my watch time to increase to, to get paid. So I haven't experienced this yet, but it is a long-term process if you are going that route. Really, the best way, in my opinion, and the most direct way, the way that you have most control over your financial situation, your why can't I, why can't I talk today? It's a Sunday. My your, your financial outcome is by selling digital products. You can sell physical products too. Physical are a little bit more challenging. But digital products, I just love that you can do that. I think it is such a cool thing. So you can sell courses. You can sell eBooks. I did a real book with Kindle Direct Publishing. But eBooks, courses, you can do online coaching. Those are the main things that people sell. And like I mentioned, it is so great because you can really do stuff that helps people and you you have control financially or more control over than affiliates and just kind of like hoping people click on your website. And of course, there's more strategy in it than that. But with with selling, again, you you get 100 percent of the the product revenue And of course, you have things to pay for as a blogger. You have to pay for hosting and all these different apps that help you with blogging, that integrate. Okay, I'm getting off tangent. Anyway, though, digital products I think are super cool. As somebody who's out there to do science communication and science education, it's kind of challenging to figure out what to sell. And this is the route that I have gone. And I am still working it out. I have recently decided to go full force into creating courses and other digital content for aspiring wildlife biologists because I have just realized, actually, this is the question I got a lot in my research interviews. Why am I doing this? Because I just feel so passionate about this from my own experience and talking, I've talked to over 50 people so far. This stuff is not being taught in undergrad. It's not being taught in graduate school. I am hearing over and over again that the professors don't know how to advise students. They only know how to get students into academia. They don't know about other careers. And I also feel that, or I felt that when I was in graduate school, people didn't care about the human side as much. And they just kind of like not looked at you as a worker, but it's just like that was your purpose, like to do science, to do science. And if you did anything else, it was like, well, you should be doing science. So I really like bringing people back to the whole human level and remind them that science is just something they can do. And if they're not happy in it, they can leave it. And these are the types of explorations that we do in my courses. So I have really enjoyed selling these products. It's what I'm going to continue to do. Some other ways you can sell with education are selling to kids or to their parents. This is another thing that I started doing, and I'm going to put it on pause for right now because I really want to develop my my coaching course 
I am redoing it. It's it's starting again in June. If you're interested, reach out to me. I'm happy to chat with you about it. But I have this kids program where I teach kids about wildlife biology, what it's like to be a wildlife biologist and have them do real wildlife biologist activities so they can connect to nature and learn about animals. So that is also something that you can sell. Other academics have sold coaching. So there is Katie Peplin. She sells academic coaching and mentorship for all different academics, not just science. There are a couple of other people who work on helping people with like confidence and imposter syndrome. I do some of that too. Also productivity. I do some of that too. <laughs> this is like a big advertisement for myself. But, and a lot of scientists I think don't want to sell or hesitant to sell, but really if you want a career in science communication, you're going to have to probably wait a long time for your traffic to build up to be able to make money in the other more passive ways. So you really have to sell, unfortunately. And Another thing is like once you're producing all this content, like in order to get the numbers, you have to produce more and more content or you have to like do the research to work the system to get your your posts on top, to get highly ranked. And when you're producing more, you need help. So you need to hire people. And that's a good thing because it creates jobs for people. So by selling products, you are able to pay people. The last way you can make it in science communication, this is a way a lot of um, scientists also go, is the donation route. And this is like using Patreon. So with Patreon, you can donate. I believe they only have a membership. You can donate, I think, as little as you want, or maybe the organizer sets that amount. But the reason why I didn't do Patreon is because I felt that it would be really similar to selling. Because when you do Patreon, you have to provide them with like a gift. You have to give them a reason for signing up. Like why are they why are they giving you money? You get some sort of exclusive content. That that is like you, like you have to promise to give them something. So you either have like an insider community or you, they get more podcasts or something like that. So I decided not to do the Patreon route because I would just rather sell to people. So in summary, science communication is a really exciting field as an entrepreneur, as a digital entrepreneur. That's what I call myself. I'm a wildlife biologist slash digital entrepreneur. But it's not easy. It takes work. You're going to have to learn a lot of new things, which I personally think is exciting. I love learning all those things. But again, going back to the beginning, there's this misconception that you can just like easily step into science communication and it's a whole new world. That makes me think of the Aladdin song. I almost started singing. It's a whole new world and it's an exciting world. But again, it's, it's one that there are challenges with. If you listen to my podcast episode, I forget which number, with Rob Nelson, he is also in this field. He creates science videos, and we talked about the challenges and how you have to pivot to being um, an entrepreneur and a salesperson. 
So we've both really enjoyed it. But like I said, it's taken us a while to like try to navigate this field and to figure out how to to monetize and to provide for ourselves. And Rob has a family. Well, I have a family too, but it's little fur babies. He has real kids. So anyways, in conclusion, I just wanted to give you some some behind the scenes look at what it's like to be in science communication and change into science communication full time and also to give you some perspective on what it was like to apply for those science communication jobs. So thank you guys so much for listening and I will see you next week. Have an amazing day. I want you, I want you, please be kind to animals and please be kind to each other. That's my want. Okay, thanks guys. Bye. If you liked this episode, care about wildlife, care about conservation, or know somebody who is interested in going into wildlife biology careers, please share this episode. You can also rate and review my podcast that really helps people find it. My goal is to spread messages of conservation and kindness for wildlife and to help people navigate wildlife biology careers. Rating and reviewing my podcast really helps other people find it. If you have questions or show ideas, you can find me at fancyscientist.com. My social media handles are at fancyscientist. On Instagram, there's an underscore between fancy and scientist. You can also send an email to hello at fancyscientist.com. If you're an aspiring wildlife biologist, ecologist, or zoologist, you can join me every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Facebook Live, where I answer different career questions. You can also ask me questions on the spot. I'm here for you. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate every single one of you. I am so grateful for you. I hope you have an amazing day. Be kind to animals and be kind to each other.